Hi, and welcome to Green Deal, Big Deal, the podcast where we discuss Europe's green future. My name is Eva Ivashuk. And I'm Aaron Best. We're pleased to join you today from the offices of Ecologic Institute in Berlin. In this podcast series, we explore the ins and outs of the European Green Deal, which is the EU's flagship environmental initiative. And so far in our podcast, we have covered a range of topics, including circular economy, transformation of food systems, or the mobility transition. And of course, we keep on referring to the main goal of the European Green Deal, which is achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions in the next 30 years. These are all areas that will require an enormous amount of investment to reach the goals of the European Green Deal. And in fact, the European Commission estimates that to achieve the goals of the plan, it will need to mobilize at least 1 trillion euro in sustainable investments over the next decade. And the big question then is, how will we know which investments are the right ones to power this transition to a climate and nature-friendly economy? And also, how do we ensure that we don't finance activities that support some of the goals, such as climate mitigation, but harm our ability to achieve others, such as biodiversity conservation? To help identify the kinds of investment that help and the kinds that harm, the European Union has come up with the EU taxonomy which specifies the various criteria that investments will need to fulfill to be considered sustainable. You may know the word taxonomy from a science class you've taken. For example, a taxonomy has been created that classifies various species of plants and animals into groups. And the EU taxonomy aims to classify various economic activities. And to help us unpack this rather complex topics, we have with us today two experts. First of all, Ben Allen, who is the research director at the Institute for European Environmental Policy. Ben has served as a co-rapporteur for the technical working group of the European Platform on Sustainable Finance, which is an expert group that was convened by the European Commission to assist in developing the taxonomy. And we have with us also Nicole Kremer, who is a sustainability analyst at Greenomy, a startup that supports companies and financial institutions in understanding and complying with sustainable finance regulations, including the EU taxonomy. Ben and Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eva. <laughs> Thanks, Eva. Ben, first of all, I wanted to ask if you could explain to us and our listeners what is the EU taxonomy, and maybe you could tell us some specific examples of activities that are included in this classification. Absolutely. I think you've described it really well already. In its, its simplest form, the taxonomy is a classification system so that we can understand whether a financial investment is environmentally sustainable or not. But in practice, it's two things. It's a signposting tool to guide those financial investments to what is sustainable and what is not. As before, we had a variety of different standards. We still do have many different standards out there, and that caused some confusion in financial markets. Do I invest in this standard? Do I invest in this other one? Important to note that it does not prevent investments. It's not designed that way. And that's a key point I think we'll come back to in this conversation. The other thing it is in practice is a long list of economic activities that have benchmarks, performance standards, criteria that shows what sustainability looks like for a given activity. Some of the Examples of activities we have are pretty wide ranging. We've got everything from the generation of wind power, 
we've got manufacturing of batteries, we've got restoration of wetlands, rail passenger transport, renovation of buildings. So it covers a huge scope of different economic activities across our economy and across different sectors and across society. And I think the last thing I'll say at this point is that an activity is a statistical classification term that we use in the taxonomy context. It is not a sector. So for example, an activity might be animal production or the growing of crops rather than agriculture as a sector. So the taxonomy is quite granular in the way it defines what is and what is not sustainable. Okay, and then if we assess whether an activity is sustainable or not, we probably want to look at different aspects of sustainability. Could you tell us which environmental areas are covered by the taxonomy? Absolutely. So there are six environmental objectives that are covered by the taxonomy regulation. Uh, these are climate change mitigation, adaptation, the sustainable use and protection of water and marine resources, the transition to a circular economy, pollution prevention and control, and the protection and restoration of biodiversity and ecosystems. And does this mean that an activity has to tick boxes for all those environmental areas for it to be considered a sustainable activity? Yes and no. Um, and this is how the taxonomy works. So the requirement of the taxonomy regulation, which is where the taxonomy comes from, is that you must deliver a substantial contribution to at least one of these six objectives. And by substantial contribution, we mean above a certain threshold of performance or a certain contribution level, which we consider substantial or significant or major. In doing that, you also must ensure no harm comes to those other environmental objectives. So in a sense to your question, yes, you need to tick the boxes for all of the environmental areas, but you only have to deliver substantial contribution for at least one of them in that sense. So, uh, Nicole, I'd like to turn the conversation to you. Ben's given us a really good overview of what the taxonomy is, and I'd like to hear from you. I think it would be good to hear about some of the practical consequences. So what does the EU taxonomy mean for investors, for companies, and the financial industry? Well, maybe to start off, the EU taxonomy works in cooperation with other regulations. So the Non-Financial Reporting Directive, the NFRD which is soon to be replaced by the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, also called the CSRD. And it also involves the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, so the SFDR. And these regulations uh, require financial institutions. That includes, for example, credit institutions, investment firms, asset managers, insurance firms, as well as certain non-financial entities, companies, for example, to publicly disclose key performance indicators that represent the taxonomy alignment of their eligible activities or financial products. So essentially, um, you know, what Ben just described. So right now, the taxonomy covers large companies that fall under the scope of the NFRD and that have over 500 employees and a balance sheet of more than 20 million euros or a turnover of more than 40 million euros. So it really is sort of the big players at the moment. And likewise, also financial market participants, such as asset managers, will have to disclose to what extent the activities that their financial products fund or meet the EU taxonomy criteria. 
And since January 2022, these players have had to report on their EU taxonomy eligibility. And from 2023 onwards, large companies will also have to publish the alignment of their activities, which means that they will actually have to go through the technical screening criteria that Ben described that is covered under the taxonomy. And just quickly to add to that, also the CSRD will increase the number of companies that will be required to comply. So large companies with more than 250 employees will also be included, as well as all listed companies. You've described some of the different compliance criteria and some of the reporting requirements. I'm wondering, that all sounds complicated. It sounds like a lot of work. We are talking about 1 trillion uh, euros of investment that needs to be guided here to meet the goals of the European Green Deal. So, of course, there's some work involved in that. But maybe in a nutshell, what are the benefits of the EU taxonomy from a company perspective? Yes, definitely. It is quite complex, but in terms of the benefits, so especially for companies, the company EU taxonomy alignment is likely to be a key consideration for investors and for lenders when they're making their financial decisions. So this means that by showcasing how sustainable their economic activities are, um, companies can on the one side, of course, demonstrate how they contribute to a low carbon green economy and they can attract green investments and help shift investments where they are needed most. But the EU taxonomy paves the way for corporates as well as uh, financial institutions to make green investment choices, but it also helps to define and achieve and communicate measurable sustainability objectives. And then in that sense, also mitigate greenwashing. And to add to that also is that the sort of the taxonomy and going through that process can also help to create and innovate sustainable products and services and just overall, as said already, contribute to and accelerate the transition to a low carbon economy. So if I'm new at a company and need to help it achieve compliance with EU taxonomy, what are some of the near-term things that I would need to be thinking about? So what are the, some of the next steps? Yes. So this is a very good question. And I think it also leads into maybe some of the challenges. Implementing the EU taxonomy involves different fields of expertise, I would say, and sort of assembling an implementation team that can cover these different areas. I think legal expertise is needed to understand the legislation, financial expertise to sort of identify and compile all the financial components sustainability expertise to also understand and decipher the requirements of the technical screening criteria and how to meet them, as well as just sort of a team that can generate the business data that is needed for the technical screening criteria. And assembling this team and expertise and also complying with the taxonomy at this point, of course, um, yeah, brings some challenges. So, the first is, you know, that the legislation is vast, technical, very specific. There are over 2,500 data points. And yeah, as mentioned by Ben, it's tailored towards uh, different economic activities and environmental objectives. So this can be overwhelming. It can be um, confusing and also maybe difficult, you know, to kind of figure out where to get started. And I think there are two responses. So companies are either looking to build and develop their expertise in-house 
or um, to outsource these expertise and, and gain support from external advisories, for example. I think from Greenemy's perspective, this is sort of where we've also come in to provide a direct response to these challenges or to help companies and financial institutions to go through these steps. And we also have a mission to create a shared global market infrastructure for sustainable finance reporting and to accelerate this process. And what we've done is we've codified all of the new EU sustainable finance legislation. So that means the taxonomy, SFDR, CSRD, into an ecosystem of portals that really caters to all stakeholders. As Nicole has mentioned, the EU taxonomy is already in operation and something that companies in Europe already begin to understand and begin to comply with in quite a complex process. But I wanted to now take a step back and ask if you could tell us a bit of the political backstory of this topic and maybe explain how did the idea of creating such a classification of sustainable activities actually made it on the political agenda? Sure. It's potentially quite a long story to tell, and I suspect if you asked different people, you'd get a slightly different answer. But I, I think we can trace that back to a few aligning threads. So in 2015, we had the Paris Climate Agreement. We also had the commitment to the UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. And the Paris Agreement specifically includes a commitment to align financial flows with a pathway towards low carbon and climate resilient development. And that triggers a series of strategies and communications that come out of the European Commission. Uh, in 2016, we have the Capital Markets Union communication, which was partly in response to those international commitments, but also in response to the initiative around growth and jobs. We see a high-level expert group being set up, known as the HLEG, by the Commission in 2016. And that was tasked with three areas of advice, steer the flow of public and private capital towards sustainable investments, identify steps the financial institutions and supervisors should take to protect the stability of the financial system from risks related to the environment. That's a key part in relation to the taxonomy. And then deploy these policies at pan-European scale. And the various expert groups that have arisen since then start to bring forwards the contents of the taxonomy, the sort of working methodology, the concepts behind it. And we see the taxonomy regulation itself come into force in 2020. And that gives the legal basis then for the taxonomy itself. It describes what should be in the taxonomy and its general scope. You have mentioned that there was a number of expert groups working to create the content of the taxonomy. And you yourself have been active in one of those, the technical working group of the European Platform on Sustainable Finance. Could you tell us a little bit about how your work looked like and about the process of developing the recommendations for the taxonomy? Sure. So, so the Platform on Sustainable Finance is the official expert group that comes out of the taxonomy regulation. So there's a requirement in regulation to have this expert group, and it's intended to provide advice to the Commission and for the Commission then to be able to take forwards lawmaking and law drafting. Within that, as various subgroups, and the technical working group was tasked specifically on developing the technical screening criteria, we call them. You could call them performance standards, you could call them sustainability criteria, but essentially the criteria by which we would judge whether an economic activity is green or not. That process took two years. The mandate of an expert group of this form is a two-year period. We started in 2020. We did this entirely remotely because of COVID and the various lockdown restrictions. 
So that was a learning process in and of itself. And we've worked on around 100 different economic activities across a range of different environmental objectives, which we mentioned earlier in uh, the conversation. We had to work out what our methodology was to address and deliver these sustainability criteria that built on work of the European Commission's Joint Research Centre, which had taken ideas from some of the previous expert groups and developed this into a consistent methodology. And we had to define things like our headline ambition levels, so like the Paris Agreement. We had to do the same for biodiversity, for circular economy, for pollution prevention and control and so on. So this all took place quite early on in in part of our mandate. And then we spent the rest of the time developing our criteria and recommendations. I'd like to come in here. Um, You were involved in a a two-year discussion uh, about defining what's green and what's not. You you must have developed a very fine sense of shades of green (laughs) over this time. What were some of the big debates that you had in the expert group uh, about these definitions? There were a lot. And... I think perhaps useful context for listeners is the origins of the taxonomy were relatively under the radar. It wasn't a well-known piece of policy. It wasn't a much discussed area other than those who were very engaged in financial markets. As we progressed through towards 2020, it became much more visible, much more aware to various interests in and across Europe. And everyone wanted to be considered green and sustainable. Of course, why wouldn't you? So that that added a political dimension to what should have been a very technical discussion and debate. And that's brought in then some of the big debates that you mentioned. I think one of the challenges you talked about shades of green is at the moment, the taxonomy is effectively binary. You're either sustainable or you're not. And the not doesn't mean you're unsustainable. It just means you're not sustainable by taxonomy standards. So there's been a big debate and discussion about where that level is for a given economic activity. Are we included? Are we not? And I would say specifically in relation to where we have existing public policy for a given sector that is designed to do certain things like the Renewable Energy Directive, for example, or the the Common Agricultural Policy, they also set certain performance standards, what you should be doing around the environment. And it created a debate about whether they should be considered substantial or not. And they're two very different things. The taxonomy is a very different tool in that respect. We also had big debates about what is an enabling activity. So what is an activity that helps another activity actually become sustainable or not? Give you a very concrete example of that. An an enabling activity may be the manufacturing of a wind turbine blade, which allows you to deploy wind power. You can't build a wind turbine and generate electricity from wind energy unless you have wind turbine blades. But that raised the question, well, how small a component or how far upstream do you need to go to still be or not be an enabling activity? So if I make screws or bolts, am I still considered enabling or not? That was a big discussion and that's something that we've concluded on in, well, in the last few months actually. So your your work in the technical expert group is done now, is that? Correct. That's correct. So the, the yeah. platform has a has a mandate for two years, and that ended on the thirty first of October okay. this year. Okay. So where do things stand now in the European Commission's process? So we, as an expert group, we make our recommendations to the Commission, and they are input to the Commission process. The European Commission, then led by DG Fisma, um, so Financial Markets Directorate General, 
they write the delegated act that will come out as part of the taxonomy process. So they are drafting the criteria that will be applied then in law. They are the law drafters, and they're doing that at the moment. We expect then that they will come out for a public consultation on that draft. Once that is done, they may refine those criteria, and then they will adopt that delegated act themselves. For it to become law, it would then have to be adopted by the European Parliament and the European Council, and that process should take around six months once it gets to the Parliament and the Council. Uh, Nicole, turning to you, uh, there is still some remaining controversies and challenges around the EU taxonomy. Uh, something of this complexity is not going to be a source of happiness for everyone. Maybe could you tell us what are some of the criticisms of the EU taxonomy proposal so far, also from a usability perspective? Yes, it's a huge reporting burden for, you know, even larger stakeholders, but especially smaller players that will also be required to comply in the next years. And I think on top of that, it's also quite new. And as we've already said, complex and very much still under development, meaning that there's more information or more requirements to come. So I think overall, trying to stay on top of everything and really combing your way through uh, sort of this reporting burden is one of the main criticisms from a usability perspective. And Ben, uh, turning to some of the environmental issues, what are the remaining controversies at this point in order to get to some sort of political agreement? I think there's a few on the table and some will resurface. I think we, the elephant in the room has been around what's known as the Complementary Delegated Act, which includes fossil gas and nuclear power. And these have caused some significant strain on what the taxonomy is supposed to be, because it is supposed to be this tool that guides sustainable investments. And they are defined in line with our international commitments, like the Paris Agreement. And yet we have a delegated act which says that you can invest in fossil gas or nuclear power where we can't guarantee the environmental safety of the waste produced, and therefore they are called sustainable. And that's really cast a bit of a shadow over the taxonomy. It's subject now to legal challenge. The commission is being legally challenged by some member states on the inclusion of these two activities. So that's running on in, in parallel. And that's, uh, yeah, it's caused us a lot of political headaches in the process. Yeah, I think that this issue is how many of the members of the public first heard about the taxonomy as it made quite a lot of headlines that fossil gas and nuclear power were considered sustainable. So thank you for shedding a bit of light on that. To wrap up the interview, I wanted to ask both of you, what do you think should be the next steps when it comes to future development of the taxonomy? As you have mentioned, this is still a legislation, a framework that is being developed. It's a process. And from your expertise and understanding what do you think should be the most urgent next steps to improve the approach of the taxonomy? I think as companies and financial institutions go through the actual EU taxonomy reporting process and, and are able to give their feedback, I think that'll also help. So having kind of this communication from the ground up, let's say, it will also be helpful in the process and help with the next steps. And maybe another aspect is also more standardization. There are many 
other standards, also, you know, global standards that are looking at sustainability, ESG and so forth. And I think having sort of further standardization across the board and maybe you know, aligning the taxonomy with some of those help to relieve some of that reporting burden as well. And uh, Ben, from your perspective, a person who was deeply involved in the development of taxonomy, what do you think are the next steps? I've got a, I've got a really long list, but you probably don't want to hear everything. <laughs> um, but I, I think um, I would, I would very much echo actually some of what Nicola said because the. A lot of the focus of the next platform is going to be around usability. So how do we make what we've come out? We've, we will have more than 200 different criteria going forwards, technical screening criteria. How do you make that usable? Because if it's not used, it's a lot of the work and it's pointless. But I think other things like this podcast, um, that general understanding of what the taxonomy is still needs to be much better communicated in general. I think it's understood to some extent in financial markets because obviously it's a tool designed for them. But when it comes to sectors, when it comes to political groups, I hear often very different perspectives on what they think the taxonomy is. They think we can't invest in something if it's not in the taxonomy. It's just not true. And it causes a lot of headaches in the sustainability debate. I think the at a headline level, the, the two, three other things I would add to this, I think the introduction of an intermediate taxonomy would allow a lot greater scope for inclusion of different activities. This idea of different, not different shades of green, but a space between what is considered to be sustainable in the taxonomy terms, and then a space which is you're not quite sustainable, but you need financial support to get there. There's genuine intent to get there. You want to improve. And that should be able to receive green finance. At the moment, the taxonomy doesn't really allow that to happen. We don't have that middle ground. If we'd had that middle ground, that is a space where we could have put some of our real problem areas in when we're trying to come up with criteria and, and setting benchmarks. It is a living tool. It's supposed to cover all economic activities of the economy in general, which is obviously massive. So whether it will ever be fully complete is another question. The final thing I would say is this idea of a social taxonomy. And it's something the platform worked on. And it brings in a much greater focus on the social and human rights issues that are associated with financial investments. So whilst we need to ensure climate mitigation, biodiversity protection, and do no harm to any of the other environmental objectives, it's also important we do no harm and also improve our social and cultural implications of different investments. Nicole and Ben, thank you so much for joining us today and for unpacking for our users and for us the uh, EU taxonomy and some of the finer points uh, that are hidden within this very important issue. Thanks for the invite. I hope this has helped to clarify some of the some of the complexities of the taxonomy from an environmental, from a usability perspective. It really does deserve more airtime and more understanding. And thanks also from my side. I definitely agree there's so much more to this, but I'm happy that we were able to provide some of the key aspects and highlights around it. So Eva, that was our effort to unpack the very complicated topic of EU taxonomy. What are some of your takeaways from that? I think the biggest takeaway for me is understanding what is actually the point of the EU taxonomy. And it is for companies to be able to say, 
our activities are sustainable or they're not sustainable or this percentage of our activities is sustainable. And for the financial institutions to be able to say this part of our investment portfolio is sustainable, is going towards addressing climate change or addressing the biodiversity crisis. In the previous episode of the podcast, different speakers mentioned the topic of greenwashing, how everybody wants to be sustainable right now, at least in their marketing materials. But often if you dig into these claims, you find out that there is not much to back them up. And I think this is an effort to address this. And of course, it's going to be a mammoth effort if it is to cover all the economic activities, period. Yeah, you know, one of the things that strikes me is that there's sort of a paradox at the heart of this whole thing that how the, the complexity involved in attaining clarity. You know, the whole point of this is to have it be very clear whether you're contributing to sustainability or not. Yeah, it sounds so complex. I mean, when Nicole was describing the things that companies will need to do, report on, it was, I, I had trouble following some aspects of that. And I think companies may as well, but that complexity will actually reduce complexity elsewhere. I think that's important that we keep that in mind, that it's very hard work, it's very difficult work to keep it all straight and get those rules defined and then comply with those rules. But it's all in the name of clarity so that we know what sustainable is, we avoid greenwashing, and we direct 1 trillion euros of investment in the direction of a green economy. I think that's right. And indeed, for me, interesting to understand, you know, what does it mean from the perspective of company? And Nicole has mentioned what sort of team you would really have to assemble within your company to do this reporting right. And I think it's also interesting to understand that we have the six environmental areas that and has mentioned it's climate, adaptation, mitigation, biodiversity, circular economy, and two more. And then for each of those, you have criteria. And for each of those, you need to have a clear cutoff that you can then verify with data that says until this point it is and until this point it isn't. So I can hardly imagine the discussions that must have happened in that group when it comes to you know precision and language and mm. agreeing. And I can imagine also there were actors in whose interest it would be not to have the language extremely precise. So there is some leeway in how we report on the activities, but then that steps away from this clarity that you're mentioning about. So really a very interesting intellectual exercise it must have been to try to really put it all together. Yeah. And I think it's important to emphasize that EU taxonomy is just one part of the picture in terms of how to guide investment and how to make these transitions. That many of the things that don't won't qualify now as being green and therefore under the taxonomy are actually really important things to do. So there's a lot of improvements in what we consider to be polluting industries that will actually be really important contributions to reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. So they won't qualify under the taxonomy at the moment, but they will be important contributions to the way forward. Both Ben and Nicole, I think one of the other things that we saw today is not so much just about the European Green Deal, but it's about policy in general. And that is that process of including experts and expert groups that discuss for two years and then have to hand over to a political process. And they won't get their way, but they've contributed in that way. I think it was a really interesting glimpse into policymaking. 
I actually would like to pick up on what you have just said when it comes to these expert recommendations, because I'm not sure how clearly they did sound out in the podcast, but it's so important to understand that indeed there were all these experts who did debate two years on all this kind of fine-tuned criteria. But then those were just recommendations that were provided to the European policy process. And then this had to be reframed by the European Commission, debated by the European Parliament, and then debated within the European Council, which are the representatives of all the member states' governments. So the final shape and wording of the taxonomy differs quite significantly from, or to some extent, from what the experts have recommended there. So it's also interesting to understand how policy is made. And we do have a lot of good expert input, but then at some point, politics also plays a role. And of course, we live in an imperfect environment and not everything is informed by science, but it's also interesting to understand that also different interests have to be somehow considered and involved here. So for me, that was a very interesting insight into this policymaking process. So that's all for today. We hope that listening to today's episode provided you insight into the world of sustainable finance and investment and why it matters. In the next month's episode, we'll talk about the question of governance, or in other words, who takes decisions about the content of the European Green Deal and who is responsible for making it happen. In the meantime, we have some exciting news. We've launched our webinar series, where our listeners have an opportunity to directly interact with the experts, ask their questions, and share their views on the different aspects of the European Green Deal. You can learn more on our website, greendealbigdeal.eu, follow our Instagram channel at greendealbigdeal to be notified about upcoming webinars and podcast episodes. You can find other episodes of this podcast on all major podcast platforms and apps, including Spotify, Apple, and Deezer, as well as on YouTube. Please subscribe to the podcast to find the new episodes in your feed. This podcast is part of the European Environment Initiative, funded by the Federal Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation, Nuclear Safety and Consumer Protection. The Ministry supports this initiative on the basis of a decision adopted by the German Bundestag. The production of this episode was additionally supported by Stiftung Mercator. The podcast is produced by Carl Lehmann, Eva Ivaschuk and Aaron Best. Sound design by Lena Abley. Graphic and web design by Jennifer Rahn. Special thanks to Mike Jacob, Camilla Bausch, and Michael Lawrence.